All right, we're back. Uh, another episode with Kyle. Uh, Kyle's got a, a good idea for dedication. So, what do I like to dedicate you dedicate this to? Well, I want to dedicate this to the frontline workers. My wife has been like, you know, busting it for the past year with this pandemic. And since we're talking a lot of the films we we've, we've watched during the pandemic, like I feel like. Yeah, I've got to recognize the people that have really put forth their all. Like, I've been working, and I know you've been working. We've all been working during it. But, like, to put yourself on the front lines with that every single day, it is exhausting just to be, like, near someone who's dealing with that. <laughs> right. I'm going to put another dedication because my wife's a teacher, so I'm going to yeah. dedicate to teachers. who. Uh, it's hard enough to do your job regularly. And then you add this remote and distancing and and the flipping back and forth, flipping back and forth, yeah. and all the stages, and as well as this administration trying to navigate how to do this. Mm. We're going to dedicate to frontline workers and teachers on this episode. All right, I'm back on the St. Paul Filmcast with me. Uh, I'm Kyle Gothy from hey. Goat Film Reviews and from uh, Kyle and Nick on Film. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> if you guys want to know how we uh, what we look like, and I've been mentioning this before in the show, uh, we have a YouTube channel, Kyle, Nick on Film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to bump it up next month. We're going to bump it up two. I think, yeah, I think starting in April, we're going back to two episodes a week, which is very exciting. I know, I know. We're, it's kind of like a trepidatious thing because you ne- never know at what point we could get shut down again, you know, yeah. and have to go back into hiding. But uh, I think we're prepared. You know, vaccines are starting to get out and people are starting to get them. And I, yeah. I think we can get to a place where we're back to two a week. I got to admit, I got my vaccine shot. And then the next day I came to your house and it was a little funky. Mm. So whatever we recorded. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had to cut a lot of wild thoughts about that movie. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but can we give a little sample of what to expect in the future? Because I, I, I'm really excited about what's coming up for Kyle Nick on film. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what, last uh, last Monday, last week, we, we did our first uh, look at The Karate Kid, which I was really excited to watch because I've never I had not seen it before. And yeah. my wife, it was one of the few movies she had seen that I had not. And so she was like constantly asking me to watch it. And I put it's it off. And I put it off. Right yeah. And, and so finally, when you, you suggested, I believe, and, and it was like, wow, what a great opportunity. And that's what's great about season three of the show is that seasons one, season two, we were kind of searching for what kind of films we wanted to talk about. Yeah. And you and I can talk about you know, paint drying the movie for you know a couple hours. But uh, <laughs> Mel Gibson. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this was one where like, you know, getting the karate kid was great. And then we, you know, we were getting back into themes next month. Um, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about talking themes in April. Like, uh, we're, we're going to talk a specific director. I think I'll leave it maybe a little bit, you know, right. yeah. open-ended there, but we're going back to doing a couple episodes with a specific director. Um, we're going to talk about specific like uh, years in film genres. And I think it'll be just fun to break down, you know, uh, moments that existed in the world of film. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put the link up there and, and, uh, check out our Patreon for the YouTube channel. Yeah, and, uh, you can actually pitch in and give ideas of what we're going to talk about too and come Part of the member, part of the team. So yeah, and we've got some cool content that that is yeah. going to be going to the Patreon. I've been doing a lot of research on like uh, kind of that that interforth expression with with Patreon. So I'm excited with some of the stuff we're going to be working on with that. So so what we're going to do with this platform is kind of like a little bit of relaxed. Uh, we're going to talk about movies that we kind of watched over the last year mm-hmm. uh, being quarantined. And kind of like just a little footnotes or we didn't really like make a list, but just kind of the movies that we kind of were kind of surprised and interested to talk about that probably not going to be mentioned 
in the YouTube channel, maybe if you join the Patreon, maybe. Yeah. So uh, some lack of things like new or old. So um, I just want to bring up this is really actually funny because <laughs> I love. I think anybody knows me loves. No, I love noirs mm -hmm. and I like Stanley Kubrick. And yeah. I've never seen his first movie, which is Killer's Kiss. Oh, okay. Which is a noir, mm. and I actually just watched it yesterday. Oh, okay. I was wondering, I, yeah. was that one of your uh, TCM? Yeah, okay. Noir Alley. Yeah, I, I saw you tweeting about it, and I was like, I feel like I know the name, but I haven't seen it either. Me and Kubrick are kind of like, we're kind of at odds. We're kind of estranged from each other. We're like, yeah, we, I watch a movie of his, and I, I first time I see it, I hate it. I always hate his movies the first time I watch them. And then they percolate for like a year. Like, and I go yeah. back and watch them again. And that's kind of why Barry Lyndon has been sitting on my shelf for since last Christmas. <laughs> and that's I'm just a, like afraid to open it up. It's I'm, almost like the barometer of Kubrick. Because mm. if you like Barry Lyndon, you probably like the rest of his films. But if you don't like it, then you're going to kind of cherry pick what you kind of prefer from oh, him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But Killer Kiss is one of his first movies. It's a noir. And mm. you think like with me, I love noirs. I love Kubrick. That eventually, just naturally, you should have seen this. The thing is, it's hard to find a copy. Yeah, yeah that's true. It, yeah. I, everybody thinks that we can just find any movie now. And it's still pretty tough to get certain ones. You right. know, I mean, I've if you if you know me for any amount of time, my like little niche thing that I love is is horror franchises. I'm yeah. so big on like watching like what? all the sequels for a horror film. Like, yeah. you know, I just got the Shout Factory edition for the Friday the 13th, like complete collection. Everything's been redone in like a 2K or 4K cut. And it's just it's gorgeous looking. Um, and I, that's how I've spent my time since I got that. It's the just been movies. like going through all those Friday the 13th movies and they're like the most impressive versions of each one. And I can't find certain horror sequels that I'm a big fan of, you know. Yeah, so it's it was it's very interesting if you if you see the book. Obviously, it's black and white. It's amateur. He was amateur film. This is not a he was not a professional filmmaker at the time. But I like the theme of it. Mm. I don't think anybody caught the theme of it, which is no matter what your profession, how relationships are, you're always dancing, mm. literally or metaphorically. You're dancing. You're navigating your di your dialogue exchange with it's almost a dance, a collaboration, hmm. and so like he the perf the protagonist he's a boxer, so that's even a kind of a choreographed dance. Oh yeah, it's physical. And then she, the 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 female there, she's a taxi, um, what they call taxi dancer. Mm. You know what those are? Those are women that were at the dance halls. So they had dance halls. Okay. And if you went to the dance hall, you would pay a ticket to dance specifically for her. Oh. So they were called taxi dancers, and pretty well they were taxis because they probably took a taxi to get there. Mm. But that's how they made the money. They would be at dance halls, and you would pay a ticket to dance specifically for that person. Wow. And so she's kind of of this isolated relationship, and she doesn't have a partner. He's a boxer, and he's kind of alone, and they kind of try to come together. Mm. But I like the central theme of it, and that's kind of a interesting point of view even though it's very dark and it's wonderfully shot there's a lot of talent there that really looks the sound is kind of doesn't fit well yeah it looks there, like he paid almost, attention to almost always like one glaring problem with your first film you know yeah. <laughs> well i think he's he's a very visual person mm -hmm. and i think he has to hand off the keys for somebody to do the sound mm. and if you don't have the right you know a really talented person for sound mixing mm. it does show a oh bit, that's right? fair yeah huh. like you could be a great band but if you don't have a good drummer yeah. It doesn't work, man. Exactly. <laughs> so, That's yeah, fair. Killer Kiss, yeah. Well, so for me, you, you said we didn't have lists, and I didn't really make one. I kind of just did this, like, free flow exercise last night where yeah. I went through every month on my Letterboxd account. By the way, you guys can follow me on Almighty Goat Man mm -hmm. on Letterboxd. <laughs> and uh, I went through there and went month by month last year and picked whatever the highest rated movie was. 
and just made this like little free flowing exercise. And it's kind of crazy yeah. to think like all the films that kind of that, that I, I saw in one year, I saw like 350 films that I'd never seen before last year. Um, and, and so many of them awesome. are foreign language films and it, it wasn't on purpose that I chose this, but just the movies that ended up being some of my favorites last year were foreign language movies. Um, and it comes, brings to mind a quote I just wanted to say from Bong Joon-ho because he won the Oscar last year. He won a lot of Oscars last year. Yeah. And it was the last like get together before the pandemic really started where I went to watch the Oscars at a friend's house. And he said, once you overcome the one inch barrier of subtitles, you will be introduced to so many more amazing films. Yes. And it's, it's a great, great quote. I love that quote. Yeah. Um, it's one of the films. far more terrifying horror films because Asia, I think, really does far more. I think I think really certain terrifying. countries were able to get ahead of it, you know, and start kind of exploring the space. Yeah. Uh, whereas America has always had this thing with like, you know, cert certain things we have to give an R rating to and certain things we can less pa let pass. And it was just America's weird for yeah. what we let go and what we won't let go. So yeah, um, what do you what, what's so some good mention here? One of the ones I want to talk about is In the Mood for Love. Um, from Wong Kar Wai. And it was a horror from, movie? What's that? It's no, it's not a horror movie. I didn't watch a lot of horror movies that were foreign, though, okay. last year. I just watched a lot of, like, random I'm getting ahead of myself with you. Yeah, I know. I, I'm sure I got some <laughs> horror movies in here. Um, in the Move for Love is not a horror movie, but for, wow. it is so beautifully done because it's it's a romance film. Um, Maggie Chung and... Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Tony Leung, who is going to be set to be in Shang-Chi uh, this year. And... Uh, they both basically play two people who are living in the same housing complex and they find out that their respective significant others are having an affair with each other. Okay. And so then they kind of start to spend more time together and uh, an emotional connection between them starts to form. The film is not like uh, uh, romance in the traditional sense. It's, it's not, it's not a lot of like sex or anything like that. It's just like two people who have found like an emotional connection with each other. And for all the moments that you don't see them actually physically expressing their love, it's all through this like undercurrent that runs through the whole film. It's like a perfect movie and in every way. And it's, it's probably now one of my like top five favorite romance films of how, all time. How old is it? I think it's like 2000 or okay. 1999. So it's yeah. a lot newer than I thought. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I'd been holding on to this thing for a while and, and I had just kind of, you know, put it aside as something I'll watch when I get the chance. And, and usually my foreign language films are like Sunday mornings for me. Like I get my cat and my coffee yeah. and I go in extreme darkness and I watch a foreign language film. Cause it's, it's something where if I'm watching in the afternoon, I tend to not be like as invested in the, the subtitles. Inspector, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to kind of keep with my little concept. I didn't yeah. know really, you're kind of, but I, I know the one I'd watched last year that I really was kind of put it off to my mind. And I'll watch it eventually, but mm. then the opportunity arose and I finally saw Clute. Have you heard of Clute? Yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? No. I, 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 it's, it's one of those that, thing where like these like cinema I, fans that I'm a friend or cinema friends that I'm like big of watching on, on Reddit talk about Clute yeah. all the time. <laughs> it's funny because I, I don't know. Clute is actually Donald Sutherland's character's name, John mm -hmm. Clute, the detective, and he's investigating a series of people, uh, somebody murdering prostitutes, and he comes along, Brie Daniels, which mm. is Jane Fonda. It's what she won Academy Award for, mm. as, and Clute. The funny thing is, um, it's not so much the content of the story, but overall, it was her haircut that set the world on fire. It's one of those Jennifer Aniston things that her haircut, her hairstyle was so unique and so new. Mm. And she kept it, and then everybody else copied it. Mm. And if you watch the Oscars, she actually kept their hairstyle. It was one of those, like, everybody wanted it now. It's something, like, never seen. Oh, yeah. But I, it's a neo-noir, and I think you actually might like 
um, yeah, so cool. Alan, uh, Alan K. Picula, who did like yeah. Kill a Mockingbird, All the President's Men. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, yeah, he kind of, he just kind of ran with those political thrillers for a long time. It's very, <laughs> I, I liked it. Huh. I did. I did. It's one of those, I, I'll put it off. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, Clute's one of those ones that it always feels like, you know, not having seen the movie, I can just say this. It feels to me like a movie that you have to feel like you're like on an upper echelon to watch. Right. You know, it's, it's like higher brow, I guess is the term. And the movie's for. not. It, that's how it feels on the we, outset. We've talked know? about another movie. It's, it's one that doesn't mind getting its hands dirty. Mm, it's okay. a little mucky muck. And uh. it's filmed like that, too. It's very mucky. Yeah. Yeah. And but even when well, I walk but, by and I see the posters, I'm just like, this thing's higher brow. It's too much for me right now. <laughs> and it's actually, it's actually none of that. It's not mm. that high brow, but it actually won original screenplay. Okay. So it's a little, the delication. I think Donald Sutherland plays a hard ass, a tight ass. Mm. And Bree's trying to break him out of his shell as he's using her as bait to lure the killer and all that stuff. And wow. she knows she's being used. She's tired of being used, you know. So um, it plays a little bit on the hooker with a hard gold a little bit and mm. a detective that's all about work but i recommend clute fair enough well you know and i watched uh this one is another like foreign film that's not really a horror film but it kind of like it's got the blood it's got the violence it's got everything i look for in, in a good like genre picture and it was a uh, lady snowblood from 1973 so it's basically if you've seen kill bill kill bill is heavily influenced by lady snowblood um, okay. It tells the story of Yuki, who's this woman who's born, um, she's born kind of in like a prison camp, basically, where her mother and her father were attacked by criminals. Her father was killed. Her mother was taken prisoner and her mother was actually raped and imprisoned. And the mother decides she's going to get vengeance on everyone who did her wrong. And so she actually creates a plan to have a child and raises this child to go out for vengeance. And it's Yuki, basically, her entire life she's been trained like a single to, goal. Yeah, single goal, like avenge my parents. And it's, it's very, very much like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much like The Bride. I mean, it, it's yeah. very much The Bride is inspired by Yuki. And the film is, uh, specific musical notes are even taken from, from and used in Kill Bill and specific character beats and stuff like that. So if you've seen Kill Bill, you kind of know the general uh, stylistic choice that you're going to see in Lady Snowblood. And the movie is fantastic. Um, I, I'm not as big on the sequel. They, they dropped both of them pretty close back to back. Uh, but the original Lady Snowblood is this like really hard hitting, uh, beautifully shot, um, you know, swordplay film from the 70s that just like I, it's one that I knew going into it. I was going to love this movie. And so it, it, it's nice to have that. Uh, you already had you kind of really knew. What I was like, this is into. a movie that's for me. And when I finished it, I was like, I'm right. I was. And I can't wait to see it again. <laughs> I think we, you know, if you saw it sounds very familiar to um came from South Korea, uh, uh, Park's uh, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which I really loved. It's his trilogy of vengeance. It starts with Old Boy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. And I, I would actually regard maybe Sympathy for Lady Vengeance as actually the best one. Mm. And I believe oh, yeah. the sequel to Lady Snowblood has vengeance in like the subtitle. And I feel like it, you know, maybe it's, maybe that's kind of like, you know, again, like some some translation in in style that gets taken from that but i didn't like the uh, i'm not going to give it away too much but her she's single focused because she was in prison for something that she not do and then she gets out mm. by fakely converting to christianity all of a sudden reborn and then she gets out and she goes screw you guys oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then she sets the motion to um go on a vengeance but 
they had this wonderful thing of this execution happening during the snowfall mm. that looks so fake, but it's a th- on location and actually the snow is falling that it's like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, and Lady Snowblood, of course, like the big scene that, that gets taken and used in Kill Bill is that snow fight at the end of the first volume of Kill Bill. Uh, it's, it's almost, almost beat for beat at times taken from this really gorgeous, you know, backyard scene covered in snow as the two people face off. And it's again, like it's, it's like you could take a specific frame out of the movie and just put it on your wall and frame it. And it's, it's, it's that kind of well shot, well choreographed, exciting. Um, I like when you can find something that's kind of in your niche but you never knew it existed. And that was one where I saw the cover and I was like, I need to have this. Yeah. Like I I was interested to see what you see about uh, sympathy for lady. Yeah. After seeing that one. Mm, Okay. So uh, I would have to mention because even though I've seen it multiple times, I've saw it all over the weekend again, but I had to watch it because it was, it's 60 years old last year. It was Mm. psycho. Okay. And I didn't, that was, uh, I had to, cause it's 60 years old, but it still has one of the containments of it looks like it's, too modern it's still modern it's still even for nowadays you're like uh, is it right for television <laughs> you know it's it's true that it it you know of course like being in black and white and being shot with the you know various hairstyles and the clothing choices they kind of yeah. place it in a specific year but it's such an engaging and exciting film that even knowing how it's going to subvert your expectations works really well and in fact not knowing is better though. I mean, I, I this is one where I actually took the wife to the theater to see Psycho when it was playing there on the big yeah, screen I a saw couple the years too. back. And I think it plays- and she'd never seen the film, <gasps> and she didn't know about the big twists halfway through the film and at the end of the film that I won't give away. But of course, she didn't know about those kinds of twists and turns. And so being able to, I kind of had this moment where I sat back in my chair and kind of like looked over her way when I knew something big and exciting and shocking was going to happen. Yeah. Seeing it through her eyes was so much fun because I'd seen the film a handful of times, five or six times through. And it's one that I think has gotten better every time I've seen it. It's very daring. I mean, the first beginning is you have them in their underpants and John Gavin's first, got a shirt. First toilet flush. <laughs> you know, it's We it's talked about that deal. on Twitter. Actually, it, 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 I, there is actually one before, 1930. Oh, okay. 1930 film, I think it was Under the Gold something, mm. where a plumber actually is fixing it backstage. No, oh. not backstage. Background <laughs> is a plumber's fixing it. Okay. Flush. But I think it's actually one of the things that people recognize. It's Psycho probably the first movie, first mainstream movie. Yeah. That you Extreme close-up. <laughs> right. And the censors were upset about it. You got to take the toilet mm-hmm. flushing scene. And Alfred's like, well, where do you want me to put it? In the living room? <laughs> it, it, which is true. Yet That's the whole part of Psycho is showing things that are comfortable for the first time. But he was right. Even though it's uncomfortable, you're not going to stop watching. Mm. You're going to keep going. Yeah, that's true. Even that's though true. it's my old favorite saying of people complain about fighting in hockey. But when the fight breaks out, nobody's getting up to go to the concession stand. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's kind of like that, you know, that harsh truth of like everybody goes to NASCAR because they want to they want to see a wreck. They hope everyone's OK, but people go to what? see those races because they want to see, you know, the bad thing. It's kind of like when you see a car crash in real life and you can't look away. It's 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 there. It's it's in front of you. And it's it's kind of a disturbing thing you don't want to admit, but you. You all know it's true, I mean. But it's fascinating. If you watch North by Northwest, which was made in 1959, mm-hmm. and then you watch Psycho, just within a year, two different, very different 
movies, very different, very much of color, mm. very much a spectacle. And then you shrink it down. I actually thought, I think for Psycho, he hired the television production studio. So his, his TV show, he hired only- Yeah, it was the Presents people, I think, worked yeah, on with him. So anybody who worked television was strictly for that movie, which makes it short. But if you watch the movie, it almost seems like a television. It's like a- it almost seems like a television show. Yeah, knowing when you know that fact and you watch it knowing it, I think it's not that big of a shock because it's very simple. Right, you know, yeah. many scenes are two people talking. And even the violent stuff is kind of outside of the big violent scene in the film. Everything's pretty simplistically violent, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's not but, surprising watching it again. Uh, I would have to say that the scene of him talking to Janet Lee in the lobby of her eating and him talking about birds. Oh, and all the all the uh, yeah the birds, birds on the wall and stuff too, and how this big owl over of this predatory mm-hmm. bird, but it's also a predator is hovering over him. It's one of the most awesome dialogue scenes and shots. It makes perfect sense for the entire encapsulating of the movie. How mm-hmm. he wants to escape, fly away. But he can't because something's continually hovering over, as well as him being a predator. That's or true. His mother being a predator as well. So, wow. and he has a definite care of you know being a bird, and she almost eats like a bird. And he plays on a wonderfully staged dialogue. I love it. Yeah. If you ever, see, if I think the movie, there's a movie Alf the, uh, Anthony Hopkins playing Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, called, Hitchcock, just which Hitchcock. Is to, yeah. Talk about the making of Psycho. And yeah, and problems. I think uh, seventy-eight fifty-two, if I'm correct, it's it's a documentary that's just on like the making of Psycho, and I think specifically on the shower scene. And it's a whole documentary that is put together for that thing. I've been I've been kind of searching it out, trying to you know get a copy of it to watch because it's always fun to. I, I like movies about making movies. I'm also the guy who watches those documentaries on making movies. You know, I've got a. If I'm correct, handful. Anthony Perkins was not there where they did the shower scene. They actually did a. He was doing a play in New York City mm. for a target. I think it took two weeks to do it. Really. And then he came back and he's like, "I'm I'm famous for something I was never part." Of. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes that's a good thing, you know. <laughs> You can't doubt yourself then. Psycho Part 2 is all right. Yeah, well, that's the, thing, right. that's the thing I want to say. Is, is, is As far as like horror sequels, I brought it up at the beginning of the episode. Uh, I think the Psycho sequels, all three of them, are quite good, at, at least yeah. to an extent. If you don't like the second one, you're probably not going to like three or four. But I do think each one of them brings something different to the table. They're very respectful of the original, but they get looked at strangely almost because they're 22 years later and in color. You know, yeah. and, and they do yeah. tend to focus on the villains at the forefront. So if you're not a big fan of like villain protagonists, you're probably not going to like them. But I found each one of them to be rather interesting in how they further that mythology. It's actually one of the more surprising franchises. And before we before we move on for Psycho, mm-hmm. Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho. Yeah. Just the string instruments. Which I think I think I actually experienced that for the first time watching Reanimator because Reanimator uses pretty much the exact same score. Really? Yeah, when you watch the opening credits of the film, it's it's that exact same It makes sense music. because the whole movie is just borrowed from other things. It's yeah. just borrowed from Jekyll and Hyde. It's just borrowed from... And I think I experienced it like... It's again, it's more like 80s kind of like, you know, oh, yeah. synth yeah. version at times. But Reanimator pretty much borrows that entire soundtrack and uses it throughout the film, which is so weird. And then they did sequels too. And then they did a bunch of sequels as well. <laughs> All right, so... All right, so uh, yeah, another one I want to talk, uh, you know... Since you brought up horror at the beginning, I want to, I want to talk about some of these Go horror ahead. films. Right, so, yeah. one of the ones that I've been I've owned this since college, and I have had it sitting on my stack of movies. I got this big stack of movies to watch. He does he really? Uh, does. Nick's aware yeah. of it. I've I've turned it kind of into a notebook. It's now, almost like a walking closet. <laughs> but uh, the Monster Squad from the late '80s, 
I don't know why I put this movie off for as long as I did. I, I think someone had told me uh, if you didn't watch it as a kid, you're probably not going to like it. And I that, watched it as a kid. And right? that affected yeah. me, though, where I was like, well, I don't want to be disappointed by this movie. So, in fact, I put it off for years. I have the same feeling about Goonies. See, it's, Goonies is one I believe that about because I, I didn't see it as a kid. I know so many people that love that film, mm -hmm. but I think if you were to talk to people that, and ask them when they experienced the movie for the first time, the ones yeah. who loved it are going to be that single-digit age. And the ones like myself, I must have been 15 or 16, and yeah. it just kind of didn't work for me. I, just, um, I, you know, I, I don't hate it. Because my wife's name is Andy, and I could just scream, <laughs> Andy, <laughs> you, you goody. All right. Yeah. yeah. So well, Monster, Monster Squad. Squad as well, you know, directed by Fred Decker, who you and I both know from uh, Night of the, of, was it Night of the Demons? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think and that was his yeah. other film, his other big film. Of course, he did the third RoboCop as well, but uh and then I think written by Decker and Shane Black, who I've always been a big Shane Black fan. Lethal Weapon is one of my favorite action films. He's not films afraid to and, exaggerate. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think they just had this good working writing relationship, but they've got this quality to it that's kind of standby-me-ish where all the kids are swearing foul-mouthed kids, but they're all just addicted to monsters. They've got posters of monsters yeah. that draw their own, and it's like that's something from my youth as well. My dad uh, was a draftsman for Articat, and so he would help design a lot of those things that they worked on there and he would occasionally draw me a monster like on a piece of paper and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world so I connected with the kids you know one of them even wears a shirt that says Stephen King rules and I agree with that wholeheartedly so being able to experience like the universal monsters but not really because they couldn't get in legal trouble um and have like you know the gill man and the the mummy and the werewolf and the frankenstein and the dracula and like all these things that i grew up loving this was epitomized in a movie that's fairly palatable all the way through and i, I think agree. even though yeah. it is kind of a a darker film i don't know if it got an r rating or not but i think it's one that like i could show my kids and not be too like not be too concerned about the content because it's a lot of fun and it it never really steers away from that childlike quality to it uh, I, you know, childlike quality. Great to bring it up because another one that I watched last year because it was, you know, I like round numbers, but mm. it's uh was thirty years old at the time was Dark Man, which I was a really huge fan mm. of when it came out. I think Sam Raimi, it's thirteen, right? Mm -hmm. Dark Man, which is um, we talked about superhero movies, but this one is a little bit more like a horror super movie, which you have Sam Raimi, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I, I, it's a refreshing. I think they actually did kind of comic books for a dark man. But uh, I think it start, you know, started this film first and I think it turned into the comic book, yeah. which was funny because it's not how superheroes are supposed to work in movies. You know, they're supposed to start as the comic book and go to the movie. <laughs> well, after watching this after a long time, because I actually saw this in a the theater mm. and then my I was it was one of those. Like, hey, go take your kid to see that is like, I wish I didn't take my kid to see that. No, yeah. it's like I liked it. But you don't get the superhero. It takes a while for the superhero aspect, but it has a little bit of 90s gaudy to it. Yeah. I think if you're looking for for like the superheroes, how they're done today, I don't think it, it it's not going to work the same way you want it to. Because, yeah, it's a very much a slow burn. It's not about Darkman as much as it is about, you know, his his human side. Yeah. Um, but Liam Neeson is great. And what, Francis McDormand, too, right? Yeah, his girl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a much pre uh, Fargo. Uh, um, <laughs> right. And if you if you catch it, it's a little bit. There's a car, big car warehouse, the drug estate, whatever. Mm -hmm. But one of the people driving the cars are the Cone brothers. Oh, OK. So that's great. They come out of the <laughs> <laughs> And if you, I, I think I mentioned before that uh, the Cone brothers actually worked on Sam Raby's films. Mm -hmm. We were on set for Evil Dead and everything. So a lot of the looks and everything the tricks that they use uh, Sam introduced and they use in a lot of their movies as well hmm. um, but they kind of 
gone away from that. And I think watching Arizona is definitely almost look like a Sam Raby film. Oh, yeah. And it's like Blood Simple almost looks like I would just say that maybe the Coens took a lot of their comedic tastes from Raimi. Because they never, I don't think the Coens have ever gone full like horror at all. I don't think they've ever done anything of the sort. But they've, they've gone full. Little, Blood okay. Simple is a little, could yeah, but that's not, you would never categorize yeah, that. Yeah, but they're yeah. kind of like zany comedies. You know, it seems like they do one serious movie and then one comedy. And there's, there's zany comedies tend to kind of, yeah, they lean a little Raimi-esque at times. But so, it, gets, it really gets cringy when you watch, like, you watch No Country, and then he's going to clean himself up after getting shot in the yeah, knee. Yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, there's some disturbing scenes, I guess. But they, they tend to take the horror stuff and, and, and the darker stuff and go straight serious with it. Which is something that Raimi never seemed to do. <laughs> so, if you like Spider Man with Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. that's superior. That's same Raimi. You probably would enjoy Dark Man. It's a little more dark. I think it's worth yeah. giving it a try. Yeah, because yeah. it's probably closer in tone and it's closer in structure. Because it does take a while in that first Spider Man movie to get to Spider Man. Like yeah. they do take their time moving along with it. So that's why yeah. did they give Willem Dafoe a mask? His face is perfect as a villain. I just put some green makeup on him, and you hide the the one of the greatest evil face of all time. I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty though, and I, I gotta I gotta assume maybe they they had the idea for the mask before they cast the actor. I don't know. They did. It's it's I, weird. I know. I'm I, I, as in you can. There's a clip in the I watch it on YouTube. They had an animated mask that would move and talk and everything. Mm. They had a test screen that they actually put it in, but it didn't. Didn't work all the time, so mm-hmm. they just like get rid of it. That's too bad. But yeah, Dark Man, Dark great, Man, one yeah. of the greatest helicopter scenes of all time. Yeah, and on uh, beats a lot of going no, back beats to a lot of James Bond movies. Going back to sequels, those two sequels are not great though. No, the, the two I don't of those where they the, replace no, no. Uh, Neeson the, with Arnold Vosloo. Yeah, and they just yeah they just don't work very well. But yeah, like superhero movies need a bad, good bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Durant was a, a good bad guy yeah. in that first movie. He really Did was. Did he play like Dr. Giggles? Doctor, yeah, I was going to say Dr. Giggles. Oh, man, yeah. Uh, he's he's one of those actors, uh, I'm, I'm completely blanking on the name, but he's one of those, Larry Drake, I think, who he, when he appears in a movie, most of the time he's just in like one one scene. Like he'll, he's yeah. just a background guy. He never really gets that love. I think he was in like American Pie 2 playing one of the random female characters. We don't even get a name, I don't think, for her. He's her father. And it's like, what are you... <laughs> Why are we using this guy more? Where but, are you coming from? Yeah. But I also mentioned before Darkman, Bill Pope is on that. Now, Bill okay. Pope did a lot of cinematography. I mean, he's a very famous cinematographer. He's one of the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he did like Matrix, right? Yeah. I think uh, he did the Matrix. I think he did the, the two sequels because he had spoken about how like grueling the two sequels were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's, I think he's, uh, for Roger Deakins' podcast, he's one of the first people he interviewed because he really loves Bill Pope, he mm. really high, gives a high regard to him. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, just like Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. Um, so yeah, and in the Matrix movies, so he's wonderful, well-regarded mm. uh, cinematographer. So, That's great. Yeah. Uh, so one one that I visited, and I actually, there's a story that has three versions made out of it, and I watched all three versions of this movie uh, over Maltese a course of a weekend. Maltese Falcon? No. There are three versions. Uh, the Killers. Oh. Uh, I watched the 46 film. I watched the 64, I believe. Yeah. And then there was also a short student film that was included in this pack that I picked now, up. The 64 one is Lee Marvin, right? Lee Marvin, yep. And yeah. had, what, Don, Don Siegel? Did he do that one, I think? Yeah. I think John, he directed that. Your yeah. buddy John Cassavetes is yep. the race car driver, right? Yep, yeah. yep. And I think I, I watched all three of them. I enjoyed all three of them. I think my favorite is still the, the original 46 film uh, with... Um, 
Burt Lancaster playing the Swede. Yeah. You know, because they have the the two guys that come into the, the you know, 40s diner and they're asking, where's the Swede at? We're looking for the Swede. And it's, I, I really enjoyed this, like, pulpy um, crime film. And what's so great about it's it is that each pulpy, of the three yeah. versions are so completely different. The, the, the 50s one is, is virtually a short film. I mean, it's literally like two or three scenes that just kind of make up. So they the made a 46 parts. one. Yep. A 64 one. Yep. In a 50s? There's a 50s, like, student short film version oh, oh of it. Oh, my God. Oh. That, you know, if you can find it, it's, again, it's very, very low quality because it was put together on, on the fly. But it's it's interesting to see, like, how each of these different directors and screenwriter duos kind of went into the film and or, and, and made it their own. Because they're each one is drastically different at times and very much the same. I think the 60s one it had uh, Reagan in it. Yeah, Reagan Ronald was Reagan's the big a bad guy. guy. <laughs> his, his last, I think his last movie. Yeah. Yeah. So and Angie I, Dickinson. I really enjoyed all three of them. I think the '40s one is my favorite, though, because I think it plays up to the story uh, the best possible way. But if you're, you know, if you're looking for a little bit more color and a little bit more splash, that '60s one really, really dives into like the red blood. And <laughs> I'm glad you finally watched it because it's one of the. I have ten movies that influence my comic book, the, my pulp noir comic book, and Killers is one of them because oh. my comic book takes place in '68. But the Killers is one of the movies that I really watched a lot of before I started making my comic book. The other one was Point Blank, The mm. Detective, and Harper. But the Killers, I love Lee Marvin in it. He just he doesn't do very much. Um, Lee Marvin is one actor I wish Alfred Hitchcock would have used in one of at least one of his films. Mm. I wish they would just have one opportunity. Is there an existing film that you would have put him in? Iron Curtain. Okay, I would have put him in Iron Curtain instead of Paul Newman. I think mm. Lee Marvin fits that. He can play soft, but he can play threatening, and he probably would look really good uh, with Julie Andrews being. <laughs> it'd be a nice contrast, right? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, Killers. I love that. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta read the read the story now because I, I haven't read the story, but I've now seen every version of it put to film. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm gonna try to stick with my noirs, but. Uh, if you have another one, go around. Oh, okay. Um, well, another one in in the realm of horror. I cannot believe it took me until last year to watch this film because I've seen virtually every one of the Universal monsters. Uh, you know, I, I grew up loving those. I used to rent these uh, these orange plated books from the library. One about each of the different Universal monsters, and I like read through these books as like a six year old and just like love what I was reading. But I I don't have a lot of experience with Hammer. And so I finally took the opportunity Hammer last year to watch yeah. uh, the 1958 Dracula, or it was released in some places, Horror of Dracula, Christopher Lee's first Dracula film with Terrence Fisher directing. Yeah. Um, and yeah. again, like it's that's what's great about Dracula in the same way that The Killers is great, in that every version of Dracula seems to focus on different elements of the book. Right. Because yeah. this 50s one is very different than the book. And it kind of is more of a remake of the 30s universal one where they like focus on certain elements of it. And it's a very different story that just kind of has there's a vampire and there's a Van Helsing and, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. they want young flesh to eat. Like, <laughs> is this the one Peter Cushing is playing? I th yeah, Cushing is uh, Van Helsing in it then, too. Yeah. So, again, a great pairing to get those two, you know, in the same film ever. They make they make even not great horror movies better. Like they did this one called The Horror Express, I believe, that was on a train with a monster. And the movie's not great. But they elevate it because they're both in almost every scene. <laughs> so I want to do well. I was going to think about sticking with my noir. I'm going to break out of it because there's one movie that I really wanted to see and I was kind of hesitant. I I really appreciate the director, but I finally had an opportunity to see it. It's "What's Up, Doc?" by Peter Bogdanovich. Mm, okay, one of the 
one of the best slapsticks, which is uh, it's the slapstick humor, but it's written by Buck Henry. And if you didn't know Buck Henry, uh, he's a wonderful writer. I think he was one that actually started writing for SNL when it started. He was, I think he had a record at one point. He was one of the first guys to do like a bunch of hosting gigs on SNL because I think he's yeah. he hosted like the second episode of the show. Yeah. If you haven't seen uh, What's Up Doc, it's completely slapstick fodder with uh, Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand just interjecting every, every, everybody's life in there. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a wonderful beat comedy that Buck Henry puts that if you don't do slapstick right, it it's almost like if you don't have the right drummer, everything's going to be off. But if you yeah. have the right keys and you hit the right notes, it's perfect. And it's Manly Khan's first film, and she plays this uptight that is this so funny <laughs> and i want to wear her costume for halloween but oh there you go <laughs> um but yeah it, it kenneth mars is in there mm -hmm. uh, uh ryan o'neill uh, uh but it has those certain element beats and it's colorful but you didn't think that it was going to play right and has one of the funniest endings i have mm. listened to it a long time so yeah if you haven't seen it have i have not it? no i've i i had one point confused it with i believe it was oh god the uh, George Burns movie yeah. where he played God and he yeah, kind of, George, yeah. I, I confused the titles because they just kind of have that, you know, someone quoted it and said it and, you know, you want to rent the movie. So I remember thinking like that they were kind of similar films. And I, when I rented, oh, God, I thought it was that one as well. So I did not get a chance to see it. But what's great about Buck Henry is he has this he had this great affinity for almost every kind of genre, you know, because he had also I think he was in uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. Yes. With Bowie. And, and he had done serious films, and yet he'd also done these comedies. And he, wasn't he in The Graduate as well? He wrote he The Graduate. In, yeah, yeah, he wrote, wrote The Graduate. Plastic. And of course, appearing in one of my favorite, you know, yearly watches, Grumpy Old Men, as the uh, the the IRS guy that, that's <laughs> trying to get Gustafson. And there's some slapstick to that role, too. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't, actually, Buck Henry's mom was an extra on the Humphrey Bogart's Maltese Falcon. Mm. And actually was a kid on set because she couldn't find daycare. So he was on set during some of the on Warner's Lot scenes and she was walking and he actually got to sit down and hang out with Humphrey Bogart See, as a kid. That's yeah. why I wish my mom was an actress because like then I could have had that chance. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I would try, it, take a risk. It's 1972. There's a lot of fun into it. It goes off the rails because it's screwball comedy. But, mm -hmm. Yeah, give it a chance. Fair enough. Uh one that I watched really early in last year is probably even pre-pandemic, but I'm including the whole year as kind of like the craziness of 2020 uh, was Wild Strawberries because I had not seen very many uh, Ingmar Bergman films, but there was this great set that came out from Criterion that had 40 of his movies. And I was like, I'm going to pick this thing up and I'm going to just blaze through some Ing Ingmar Bergman movies. And Wild Strawberries is the first one in that pack that I remember loving. I've never heard of this one. So, uh, follows a character named uh, Isak Borg, who is basically an older gentleman that, you know, his life is kind of in its its back nine, I guess you would say. And he's taking his uh, he's going to accept an honorary degree from his alma mater. Okay. And it's basically kind of it's almost kind of a road movie at times. He's taking a road trip with his daughter in law. And as they pick, you know, see different hitchhikers and come across various things on their road trip to his alma mater, he keeps having flashes to like the mistakes he made in his life. And most importantly, to the to to one of his first loves that he made a mistake with, and it's a really, you know, thoughtful, slow moving, beautifully shot Bergman picture that, you know, it, it kind of reminds you like take every chance you can now because you don't want to be like this guy who's regretting every chance he didn't take, uh, 
you know, it's, it's not a feel good picture, but it's, it's so beautifully shot that you can just kind of live in that world for like 95 to hundred minutes and just watch this guy go through his past and pick apart the whole thing. You got any, we got any more? Oh yeah, sure. I got tons more. Oh, back Wild, to, I'm looking up cause I actually, you made me, I'm looking, I've never heard of this movie before. So I was looking oh, it up. It's yeah. so wonderful. Wild and, and strawberries. Yeah. I think it was like, you know, I, this pack is set up kind of like a film festival where you get to go through like themed movies from Bergman. And that one is on its own kind of night and it's it's done its own kind of unique way. And I was like, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. It's one that I've been told by everybody. Oh, you're going to love this movie. And, you know, I was like, OK, I'm trepidatious, but I, I can't wait to check it out because everyone tells you you're going to love a movie and then you end up not loving the movie. It's the, it's the cream, yeah. When everybody's like, you like movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, another one that I watched a couple months later, uh, the wife and I went on this action kick where we were so excited to watch action movies and little side note to this. She was like, we should watch point break because we'd never seen point break before. So we watched that one. I didn't love the movie. I thought it was okay. Uh, and she was kind of the same way, but about an hour into the movie, she asked me, she said, when does Keanu Reeves get on the bus? And it was at that point that I realized that she thinks we're watching speed. And I said, you don't know what movie this is. <laughs> so the next night we watched Speed, which is one of my all-time favorite action movies. And and we ended up, I loved it again. You know, it had been at least 10 years since I watched it. But she was able to see it for the first time. She goes, this is the one with the bus. Okay. This is the one. But anyway, yeah. after that, we, we popped in Dirty Harry because I'd never seen Dirty Harry before. And I've got this. Again, I I feel always feel trepidatious watching. Did you get old. inspiration after we critique Zodiac? This was before Zodiac that oh, we watched it actually, Zodiac. and then watching Zodiac as they watch Dirty Harry, it kind of added this extra layer of of you know confusion to my background. But the movie is very much like you know seen in the context of today with with police. Yeah, it, it's a tougher watch because again, like you're not you don't want to glorify what this what this guy is doing because he is kind of going too far at many a time. He's doing it with the best of intentions, but. That doesn't make what he's doing okay. And no. I think he comes to terms with that as, at the end of the film, you know, as it kind of boils down as, have I crossed a line? Um, but so they, yeah. they, they hit you over it. I love how they make fun of it in The Simpsons with Big Bane, just Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, yeah. cop guy. But it's also like Dirty Harry and the, the, all the people are mad at him. But he's like, you don't do you know, It's, a, it's mm -hmm. a mixture of Dirty Harry and like Raw Deal or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it was funny because when we watched, you know, Zodiac uh, for the show, being able to watch as they encoded these letters. And I started to think to myself, I was like, is Dirty Harry based on the Zodiac killer? Like, and yeah. I was like, is that the way it is? And as the movie goes on, you're like, I think it is. What I, really I forgot what the name of the killer is. Cause it's not Zodiac. It's like uh, a, Scorpio. Scorpio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And then they catch him at the end. Right. Yeah. They catch him. Right. Uh, Scorpio is the, the dad from uh Hellraiser. So <laughs> I met him. Yeah. Uh, Yo, was really it last did. year, the year before? Yeah, because I, I, I had talked to them about Hellraiser, and I talked to them about his very small role in Child's Play 3, where he plays the barber at the, the school. I would have <laughs> to make a shirt for myself that said, Jesus wept, and then approach him. Oh, you see, there are these things we get ideas for that you just don't have time to do, <laughs> you know? know. Uh, <laughs> from what I heard, he's a very nice guy. Very nice guy. Yeah. You know, uh, and it, I met him at, uh, it was Crypticon. So, you know, he had gone there, and, and that was how we had actually met, you and I. Was I, I won tickets to, yeah. to, to Crypto? Loud outfit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. That was the one he was at. Yep. Uh, yeah. So he was, yeah, he was at Crypticon one year, and uh, that was, you know, that was the year that uh, 
the wife went with me to it. She became very tired because we spent this whole weekend like wandering around this horror movie convention and she went to take a nap in the car and I had an hour and a half long conversation with Jake Busey. It was a, it was a great day. <laughs> there you go. Cause I'm sure he was on set for uh point, uh, point break. Well, his dad he, was, oh, probably, probably. Yeah. yeah. We, we spent a lot of time talking about, uh, the Frighteners and point break is a lot, just a lot of fun. You just gotta throw your brain out and just. Enjoy Patrick Swayze at the beach, man. Yeah, I think I, I'm going to revisit it at some point. Um, but it was it was just kind of funny knowing that she had not seen she had not seen Speed, and she thought Speed was Point Break. <laughs> if you ever if you didn't notice, his name is Bodie mm-hmm. and Johnny Utah. There's this whole thing of Mormonism mm. involved in it. Johnny Utah and then Bodie. It's it's really if you watch it again, there's a little. Yeah, Maybe but it's got it a tank girl in it for God. That's true. Yeah. That's a tank girl. Yeah. Ah. All right. Uh, we're gonna take a little break, and uh, you mentioned uh, Dirty Harry, mm-hmm. so that gives me idea to talk about one of my other favorite films, inspired by what this detective? What's his name from Zodiac? Uh, oh gosh. We'll remember after. We'll the come break. back after the break. Dave, with the answer. Right. <laughs> well, hello everyone. I am Billy Dees from the self-titled Billy Dees podcast. You can find me on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and many more of the best podcast networks. Join me for my commentary and interviews. Follow me on Twitter, really easy to find, at Billy D's. I am Billy D's. I'd love to have you listen in. All right, we're back. Uh, so I think it's Dave Toshi mm-hmm. who's the inspiration to investigate here. But he also inspired the other movie that's one of my favorites is Bullet, which I had a oh, horse God. watch again, Bullet, <laughs> for Steve McQueen. Yeah. Now, have you seen Bullet? Not seen Bullet. Oh, no. my gosh, yeah. It's actually, for an action movie, it's a slow burn. It takes a while. I think as far as McQueen movies, I think The Blob is the <laughs> only one I've seen. <laughs> Where he's like thirty and supposed yeah. to play a teenager. I'm I'm man enough to admit that uh that yeah, the blob is, is an underrated classic of thirty year olds playing teens. So let's take it the bullet bullet, man. We gotta see it. Steve McQueen is he's yeah, he's I think one of my many uh online purchases was a, a selection of Steve McQueen movies. And like I'm getaway. sure that I have I'm kind bullet. of slightly partial to the getaway. <laughs> okay. Once they did a remake with Alec, I think Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger, where mm. they were together, did a remake that was god awful. <laughs> but uh, Getaway with um, uh, Steve McQueen and I think Ally McGraw. Ally McGraw right? Okay. Um, but Bullet, which is here, I, I like that it's not a really action movie. It's more takes a slow burn to build up. Mm-hmm. And of course, everybody likes the car chase and everything. But I like the stationary of the building up the building up is probably what the attraction so okay peter yates directed it one of his first movies and i think in the 80s he did a lot of i i don't know if you're aware of eyewitness with yeah. uh william hurt mm-hmm. um he also did i think the deep which is this uh the same writer that did jaws okay i uh, did the mo- uh, did a book called the deep and i think deep stars nick nolte another one of those out to the sea <laughs> yeah i think i recall uh peter benchley did 
Yeah, yeah, Peter yeah. Benchley, the, mm-hmm. the Deep, in which maybe we should critique that for Kyle Nick, the Deep. There yeah, we go. Instead of Jaws, the Deep is one of those that actually was hugely successful too. Mm. And then Peter H, I think, and just off my memory, did a uh, Crawl, and I think to Destroyer. But mm. Yeah, uh, check it out. Crawl like K R U L L Crawl. Yeah. Oh, okay. From the eighties, the original one. Oh wow. Back when we we were all in the fantasy and sword play in the early eighties. Oh yeah. He and everything and Beastmaster, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, Bullet is one of all my, my always going to be one of my favorites. Mm. Car movies for me are weird because I I do mostly love them, you know, yeah. and 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 Steve McQueen is like synonymous with being a car man. Like it just it seems like every movie, you know, and that's why you know the chase yeah. doesn't well, surprise I think him me. And, and him and Paul Newman both had their own race cars. Yeah, and it, it's it very rarely do I watch a car film or a race film or something like that it's where like I don't absolutely adore it. It's not a car film, but it's but known for its. Right. You know, Chase and I, I remember hearing about that and like, oh, that'll have to be something I keep track of. And then I, I mean, there's too many movies and there's not <laughs> enough time. And as I've told you too, yeah. when I, I moved in, I became a homeowner in November um, and it, it's wonderful. But the unpacking process, I started to realize that where I have my TV in my little like home theater area, there is so much light that comes in that you can't see anything most hours of the day. And so the last couple of times you've come uh, over to, to film episodes, you've probably seen like I've got blankets like clipped up to the ceiling in that room so I can get it as dark as possible to, to, to watch things I need to. <laughs> um, but I, I, I recommend it. And mm-hmm. I think it got nominated for film editing. It's one of those okay. that's actually really good at film editing and it inspired a lot of the car chases nowadays in the eighties. Well, nowadays, from that and the 80s, that if you're summer blockbuster, you need to have some kind of car chase involved. Mm. It's almost like you have to. It's the, 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 the Those reason are the why. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, it carries on evolution to, like, French Connection. Mm. And then, seven. have you ever, ever heard of 7-Ups? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which even, even went even beyond what French mm-hmm. Connection did. And then you, you know, then the Matrix and all that stuff. So, oh, yeah. 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 Hmm. So. Well, uh, one of the other ones I watched last year, which I don't think I would have ever seen this movie if not for uh, a sale, and I just decided to buy it. The Walmart basket sale? uh, More expensive than that, but it's still a sale compared to most other uh, films, and that was uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg from uh, Jacques Demy. This is is a cult... It's not a cult classic, but it's if you love films, it's one of those that. You, yeah, it's it's kind of on that every person should see before they die list, and yeah. and yet at the same time, because it's a musical, and it's not even just a musical in terms of like specific songs amidst all the talking. Everything is sung in the movie. Every line of dialogue is sung. I can see that being jarring for some people, but what I love about it is that it, again this was a good year for romance for Kyle to watch movies because in the mood for love <laughs> and then this film like yeah. just kind of like up the level. And of course, last year I saw uh, uh, Casablanca for the first time. Uh, so, you know, like I really knocked out some good romance films last year. I know that's <laughs> I think it. Kyle needed some Kyle needed some attention. No, but um, umbrellas but, is it's you don't get Rocky horror without umbrellas mm-hmm. because it kind of laid the found found work for we can actually have an audience that would actually. Yeah, know. well, and a little clue into it as well. Like if you've ever seen the show Futurama, there is a very heavy umbrellas reference no in, kid, involving right. Fry's dog. 
that he uh, that uh, basically the dog passes away and he finds the fossilized dog a thousand years later and he wants to bring his dog back and clone him. And there's this very beautiful moment at the end where you see what the dog was up to all those years after Fry went missing. <laughs> and they, they kind of played in with the umbrellas of Sherbrooke music and stuff like that. And they really highlight it up. And it kind of makes you like a sad moment in an otherwise funny show even more palatable when you see the movie that they're kind of sending up with it. Yeah. But I don't usually like movies where they sing the entire time. And this one really stayed with me. And it's because it's shot really beautifully. It well, also, it, is, yeah. it moves. Like, it's not a it's not a time-wasting movie. And yet it's a story that we've probably seen a thousand times since then. I don't think we'd seen it this many times on film done as well as, as back when that film came out. So The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I think, if you can find a copy of it, I'm sure there's there's some streaming service out there that's got it. If you have the ability to, I would give it a try. Because I think... I was initially turned away from it and only because of the constant nagging that you will like this movie. Right. It. Almost, and then it turned yeah. out to, you know, exceed my expectations. So we really have to, if you want to rock on, we're really going to have to harass you for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm actually, it's, it's a, it's going to be a force for me. I'm actually forcing myself to watch more romance, mm-hmm. more combat romance comedies. I, I really kind of steer away from it. I'm trying to break myself, try to do new. Mm-hmm. And I think if, you know, especially being a writer, I'm going to try to learn a bit. I, I know that's my weakness is trying to write romance. Mm-hmm. Relative is a weakness for me. So I'm trying to try to really hit that, hit that. Mark. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, that's a good one to go into because it's so dreamlike. And it's, again, you could hate the romance part of it and still love the whole technical side of the film. And that's maybe it's winning, you know, combination is that you could hate the story and still be watching it for how well made it is. I'm going to shock Kyle here because, you know, I was a kid in the 80s and I watch a lot of 80s horrors, even though my parents actually were upset about it. But last year I set my sights because we're doing round numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. And I figured, you know, last year it's going to be 50 years old. I watched Terror Train for the first time. I've oh. never actually watched it. Terror Train with uh, Jimmy Lee Curtis. Yeah. yeah, it's filmed in Canada. It's actually Canadian. Yeah, yeah. and it has a very. It's very uncomfortable. With David Copperfield in there doing the magic and illusions. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a it's a, your classic eighties. Everybody's getting picked off one at a time, and who is the person? So yeah, a little bit of mystery to it. Uh, have you seen? So I have, but I'm going to give a caveat here that that's might shock you as well. I haven't seen it in at least twenty years. And I saw it at about 2 a.m. on the Sci-Fi Channel. So everything was cut out of it. That was worth noting. Um, and I haven't revisited the movie, even though I really enjoyed it as a like seven-year-old. So, <laughs> But I used to do this thing where like my folks were never really that bad about me watching scary movies as a kid. Uh, it was usually the nudity. Like yeah, my, my yeah, parents right, would yeah, run up yeah, to the yeah, TV yeah. and be like, don't watch while we fast forward. And I'm like, I'm still listening. Which horror movies like, are <laughs> a substitute for... Right. Or that's what horror movies are, a substitute for teenagers to go see instead of saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the whole thing. They never bothered by the horror elements of it. They would usually say, like, if you're scared, turn it off. And I was like, OK, well, that makes sense. But I just never would anyway. I would just kind of like fight through my fears as a child and, and watch these movies. They would go to bed, though, at a normal time. And of course, during the summer years when, you know, school was out, I'd stay up till like two in the morning and I'd catch as many of these old horror movies and usually Tales from the Crypt episodes. And they would cut out all the like excessive nudity and put them on sci-fi at, like two in the morning. And I just yeah. I blazed through a lot of that show and a you lot can, of like now those that, yeah, once movies. they cut that, you can blaze right through it. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cuts like half the time out sometimes. <laughs> There's another dimensions because we talked about there. Uh, 
eighties horror movies, but it just brought out my brain because you, Parasite won Best Picture uh, in twenty twenty. But um, there's another Demi Moore horror movie, Parasite. Do you remember that one? I do. Yeah. I don't think I've ever actually watched it though. <laughs> Which is kind of it's it's a, like a little it's a huge gigantic slug. Almost I think uh, uh, Vic, Vincent Price did a movie where it's a slug, The Tingler. Mm, yes, and it's a kind of based on that, but it's called Parasite with Demi Moore. I think she was like fifteen in the movie. Before she was part of the Brad Pack, but. but see, like the Tingler had something else going for it, which was that like uh, it had that like specialized theater experience where they would have the seats like set up to like move and adjust and like yeah. you know like one of the gags. Yeah. We don't have that anymore. William Castle did that for like all these movies, you know, and things like Thirteen Ghosts, where he actually had the specific like the the glasses you could wear that would help you see the ghosts. I'm yeah. missing that in cinema right now. That experience piece, <laughs> all the, the gadget to get the kids in the theater. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, God, I'm surprised I've missed. I've seen prom because mm. your buddy's the principal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always just miss Terror Train. Yeah, prom night, prom night, and then Halloween and Terror Train. It's like you could just smash the three movies together, pull out an element, and they and one, whatever element you pull out is in all three of those movies. This is the beginning <laughs> of prom night. Is all the phone calls to people? I'm going to kill you, and they hang up. Right? It's I like so. Some... Well, it, it, that one opens too with like that really weird like set when they're all kids. You know, and they basically show you how the movie is going to play out right, yeah. by this horrible thing that the kids do to pick on each other. And it's it's so jarring because it's a good chunk of the opening of the movie mm-hmm. that's not very well done. And it's not until we get them, like, as teenagers going to prom night that we start to actually, you know, care about the movie again. <laughs> Which makes me totally upset with it. I mean, every kid in, when I was in the mid-80s, I think it was 86, uh, April Fool's Day, just irritated the crowd. You didn't like April Fool's Day? No, I didn't like oh, the ending man, part. The I ending, love April Fool's Day. The ending is like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know what you're getting into. I, you yeah, know. We, we're getting, yeah. You're, See, I, I think as far as like, don't told us what it was gonna, yeah. We, I think as far as like last minute twists and turns, I think the one that frustrated me the most was Happy Birthday to me. That was one I watched for the first time last year on my birthday because we had to, we had this, hilarious. it was right again like, uh, you know, it was, Probably like a week after things had started to kind of like COVID in the bad way, you know, where things started shutting down and like yeah. we had plans for my birthday night. I was going to go out to dinner at my favorite place. And, you know, I had I was going to go to the movie theater and it would make a whole day out of it because I, I really enjoy like one day where I can just not have to do anything else. And I remember we had to cancel all of our plans, cancel our reservations. And so that entire day we just watched movies in the house in our pajamas and it was so nice. Like I showed my my wife Once Bitten, the Jim Carrey vampire movie for the first time. I showed her Better Off uh, Dead, which is one of my like, you know, childhood guilty pleasure movies. And then $2, Happy Birthday right? to Me. And man, I, we hadn't seen that film before. And it was two hours long for a movie that easily could have <laughs> been like 75 minutes. Yeah. And every twist and turn at the end, you're like, they just wrote this the day they shot it, didn't they? And yeah, they did. <laughs> Uh, actually from my uh, childhood, speaking of the eighties and there was a movie that I wish I was able to see, but nobody was, I was too young to see it at the time in the theater. I remember seeing it as an option, but I just could never get a chance. It came out and I think it was 88 action jackson <laughs> and i finally got to see it i completely forgot about them and it was like oh my god that movie i wanted to see it because it had the title action in it mm. and it had carl weathers he's from yeah That's so true. it's like somebody please take me to this never got the chance to see it in a theater because it was just i think it was like 11 years old but i finally now got to see it and it's just the epitome of 80s action movies i think you know almost like robocop but without the robocop right? yeah Action Jackson has something kind of in common with another one that I 
I have yet to see, and I've owned too many copies of this, and that's Johnny Dangerously, the Michael Keaton film from yeah, the 80s as well. Pechy. I had someone buy me a VHS at a garage sale because they were like, you like movies, you'll like this one. And I was like, okay. But I'm, you know, I was kind of like, you know, not really that interested in it. And then uh, the film came out on DVD and someone else bought me that. <laughs> and they said, oh, you like movies. And I'm like, yeah, I will eventually see it because I love Michael Keaton, but it has sat on my shelf and just waited and collected dust for years and years. But I, I think you, if you like 80s action and cops and all that stuff, I think Ashton Jackson fits the whole formula. Mm. It, it's 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 typical what you expect from the 80s. It has the action, the overdramatic Craig T. Nelson, bad guy who knows karate. You have Sharon Stone in there. Uh, for God's sakes, Joel Silver directed it. So it's just the all encapsulating. It should be part of the TCM underground of showing <laughs> movies. Um, and Vanity's in there. Yeah, You know, it's a lot tougher, though, to make an 80s action movie that has those staying powers. You know, like we talk right. about these ones like the Lethal Weapons and the Predators and the the Terminators and all these, uh, you know, films that have kind of had staying power in the 80s. There was a lot of bad action movies in the 80s, too, though. Like, yeah. And it's tough to have that staying power, you know. There's one that I really enjoy that is so awful. I think you should. If you have ever seen it, it's... Uh, John Stamos and Vanity in it with Gene Simmons as a bad guy. Never too young to die. You ever, ever heard of this? I have heard of it. I have not seen. Oh it. my God! You have to. see I think it. you you know when you hear Gene Simmons is in a movie, you know that you get to know the title of it, even if you never actually end up seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> and Gene is going. He's already flushed out of reality in this mm -hmm. movie. But if you if you it you have to. It's one of those like oh my God. And of course, John Stamos in High Tops. Mm -hmm. Tight jeans, yeah, with that automatic gun. Never well, too young about, to die is one of those just perfect underground movies that you have to see. Yeah, and I think about there's there's so many. It's kind of like '80s horror where it's like at a certain point you either decide you like the bad stuff as much as you like the good stuff, or you decide that you're only going to like the the really great stuff. And and '80s action movies have that kind of like you know paradigm to them where you're not sure if they're going to be part of the like staying power or the not staying power you may have heard the title enough times and that was kind of how I was when I I finally got a chance to watch the new kids which was kind of this like you know kind of dark action from Sean S. Cunningham who did the Friday the 13th yeah, film okay. and it was about you know uh, Lori Laughlin played one of these two kids and they're, they're two new kids at a school Lori. after their father dies yeah. I think maybe both parents and and they come across basically the the rough kids in this new neighborhood that they are and one of them is James Spader which, I mean, if you've ever been, you know, yeah. well, not yeah. the most terrifying presence, but, <laughs> but you know, he's this blonde, like, whitewashed, you know, I'm punk actually kid. surprised how many movies James Spader and Robert Downey Jr. did together. Oh, yeah. They did, like, three or four, even before they did the Marvels. Yeah, so that's they had, true. They had a that's good history, yeah. James Spader, he plays a really cringy bad guy in Two Days in the Valley. He, really, he can do scummy pretty well. If you haven't seen you know. Two Days in the Valley, I recommend it. Mm. Yeah, if, Charlie, I think Charlize Theron's first movie, okay, um, where she has a huge brawl with Terry Fitcher in it. Oh, it's okay. It's like this five-minute scene of them duking it out, which is mm. great. Two days in the valley. Well, fun fact, though, I think uh, Charlize Theron's first official appearance in a movie is uh, Children of the Corn 3. Yeah, um, but she well, doesn't have any make, speaking lines. She played right. one of the children of the corn in the background. Well, they, but, in the background, but this yeah. is yeah, this is when her she has a speaking line. Mm. Yeah, if you have it, Two Days in the Valley is another one. Then. Okay. I don't know. Maybe we should critique for the YouTube channel. Yeah. I think we're, we're going to have to listen to this episode when we're done again and be like, we talked about doing this one and we that, talked about doing that one. <laughs> if Never Too Young to Die is really 80s, Two Days in the Valley, that is really 
really early 90s. Oh, yeah. And if and if you guys listening don't want us to do any of these films, the best way to do that is to sign up for that Patreon because then you get to pick before we do. No kidding. Um, so if you're not a fan of any of these ideas, that would be a great way to get rid of that because we, I am, I, like I said before, I've never said no to one of Nick's recommendations for the show. And he's never said no to one mine. He came close. Came close. You came close with The Departed last year because I think you just watched it. And you're like, I'm, I'm getting tired of watching this movie because I watch it. I've seen it too many times fairly recently. <laughs> so, And I've seen that. I, we should actually, the, the, the what's based on. Oh, yeah. Infernal Affairs. That's true. Yeah. Hmm. And I think Definitely. You probably appreciate it. So what do you, what do you got? Another horror movie? It's another horror movie. You I got another one. Um, <laughs> it's crazy the number of horror films that like, again, when you say that you're a fan, people look at you and they go, well, you've obviously seen all 30 that I'm going to list off. That's not true. There's no time. But we try. And one of the ones that my wife discovered we owned and hadn't watched was Rosemary's Baby. And she gave me an ultimatum because I told her, I said, I want to watch this movie, but I have the book. And like, it's, it's, it's better. I'd rather read the book before watch the movie. It's not a requirement to see it. No, but I have the book. I'd, I'd like to read that first, you know, if that Mm -hmm. came first. And she said, I tell you what, you have a week. She goes, if you don't read this book in a week, I'm just going to make you watch the movie. And because I'd put this thing off for, you know, weeks and weeks. And so I had to basically stay up late a few nights. Thankfully, the book's only like 200 pages. And I was really able to, yeah, to is, cruise through that thing. It's a short. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's amazing how close actually Rosemary's Baby, the film is to the book because it's one of. Uh, uh, why am I blanking on this? Uh, Roman Polanski. It's one of his first movies. And he didn't realize you could stray from the script and from the story. You know, you could kind of it do your, your own buddy, thing. And it's has very your buddy much, John Cassavetti back again. <laughs> It's, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I really hadn't seen many movies of his up until recently, though, because all these ones I'm talking about first times. Uh, and it's one yeah. of those movies that start off a hairstyle because she chopped her hair off for the That's movie. And that was a big scandal. I mean, you talk about at the beginning with Clute of Jane Fonda's hairstyle, but mm. then Mira Farrow's hairstyle really, it was a big scandal yeah. in that movie. But. but it's shocking to me how close that movie is to that book. And it reminds me of this, the relationship that the, the two, neighbors, yeah, all their neighbors too. but the 2001, a space odyssey book and thing where the, the script was being written at the same time as the book and they played off of each other and they both work equally well at what they're trying to do, but they're also also have a great relationship uh, between the book and the movie. And that's the way Rosemary's baby is too, is the book is great as a book. The movie is great as a movie, but they're also so incredibly similar in their beat for beat storytelling. But just when you get the film, the way they do things like the uh, the that kind of like drug out dream sequence in the yeah, film that's early on, psychedelic. it's done in a very different way than the book describes it. But they are both equally effective in relating the same amount of information in the same way. So I really enjoyed Rosemary's Baby, and I didn't think I was going to. It's again one where you almost get yourself worked up thinking you're going to be let down. <laughs> uh, the older man is Sydney. What's his Sydney Blackmer, mm. who did a lot of. Uh, really B westerns. He got his name doing B westerns in the forties and thirties. Okay, and was in the and yeah. And you, yeah, everybody before they see the movie had this accolade of being this warm protagonist guy. Mm. And of course, you're going to shove him into the opposite as well as yeah, Ruth Gordon be this oh yeah motherly. And then you get to play on it. But was it the Castavets? I believe the the John couple is. is the lawyer. Well, the, the Castavets are the characters, I believe. Minnie and uh, yeah. her husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it's just one of those that you when you watch it, you're like, "How is this a horror movie?" But at is, the same time, it's very unnerving. Yeah, like it never straight up horror. No, not like the Almond. 
but what works so well is that it, it had staying power in my mind. Like, you know, I, it was one of the few movies where I've been able to watch it recently and I go to bed and I dreamed about it. And, and I, I've often said that, like, I used to have such vivid nightmares as a kid and I used to love having nightmares because it's like watching a horror movie while you're asleep. And I kind of don't have them as often anymore. And it was nice to be able to have this, like, really lucid, weird dream about Rosemary's Baby after seeing that movie um, because it just stayed with me. And for the next couple of days, I kept thinking about that movie. Well, after that movie, I think in the, from the 70s, almost every movie had involved Satan. Mm-hmm. I mean, every, everything, Satan's daughter, Satan everything, and Satan and blood, and Satan blood. The know, there were so were many just, ones that are now considered classics that were, you know, over Satan. The we have The Satan, Omen, Satan, we had Satan. The Exorcist. Like, it was that pocket of time where it's almost like you could just put Satan, like, write the, the right. word into one of the pages, and yeah. somehow you've turned it into this, like, you know, Which staying power. The reason why I like uh, Ninth Gate. Okay. So someone's like, isn't like Polanski going back to, kind of, yeah. yeah. Ninth, Ninth Gate doesn't doesn't really work with me. Like I don't think it's a bad movie. I just I watched it no, once it's, and it's I have no interest it, in seeing it, just it again. Misses the bullseye yeah. off a few meters. There's a lot of elements to it that I I'm surprised I don't like it as much as I do because it's about a book and a collector. And and about forces. an author, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's. I like again, like, Dumas, I like movies about right? books. Dumas, you know, just as much as I like movies about movies. And um, actually, if 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 you ever saw The Ninth Gate and either loved it or really didn't like it, there is a, an episode of Masters of Horror that I actually think is quite similar, and it's uh, John Carpenter's uh, episode of Masters of Horror, which was Cigarette Burns, yeah. and it's uh, Norman Reedus plays a film collector, and he goes and he finds this film that if you watch it you're going to die. And he gets it for a guy that literally wants it to be the last film in his collection. Yeah. He wants to see it and he wants to die. And it's, it's a one hour short film and it's incredibly engaging. And it's about that kind of, you know, that piece of it where the art kind of is more terrifying than anything else going on. Yeah. And so if you were interested in the ideas of ninth gate and you either really loved it, or really hated it, I would suggest cigarette burns as a good follow up. Which is a, work well together. it's a slow slang in the film industry that talk about even a fight club. Which oh is yeah. The, Switch the reels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you when you watch old movies. But yeah. Masters of Horror. See, I'm sure you have that old act. I got so. the whole series of Masters of Horror. And it and I love every one of them except for the one that I really thought I was going to, which was one called Jennifer. And it was a Dario Argento. And I've I really enjoy Argento, but the Jennifer one hour movie was just really too much for me. I don't I don't understand what I'm supposed to like about it. And it's it, again it has everything I'm gonna like. It has Argento directing it, it has yeah. Steven Weber as the lead and I am a huge Steven Weber like it fan. has one of those like I like it has everything why don't I like it yeah it's almost like Coppola's Dracula it's almost See, like why do I I should that like one, that I, I stand I, that Dracula I'm all that Dracula too it just I think it just doesn't have like a it's all wonderfully it's all it's all, all even goes back to the homages of old filmmaking mm-hmm. and the costuming is wonderful and the, it See, just says so, I don't think it has it's like empty Almost like Dracula. It, has no it, s- it feels like a stage play at times. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's part of the, the thing, being a film fan and knowing that everything that they shot in that movie was done in camera in the 92 Dracula and there's no like actual visual effects work done. It's amazing to watch it and then think about how they did it. Like there's a, a great shot where someone is, I believe, writing in a journal and then they've got that train running in the background, the shadow of the train, and they showed they built a giant book that they could shoot in front of this train sequence. I know. It's just, and it's just really neat to know, I guess, and maybe... The train traveling in the background. That me, oh, that's what I appreciated more. <laughs> I know, it, it, it's just, 
have everything there. Why don't I just love this more than I should? Mm. Right. And see, yeah. I think maybe I, I think I defend Dracula adaptations maybe more than I should at times. Like if you didn't like the 92 one, and I, I know a lot of people that tell me they didn't like it. I just don't like the hairstyle. Why do you have to oh. do that hairstyle? You could have done anything. But see, like I defend like ridiculous parts of that movie. Like I defend Keanu Reeves in that film. I, I don't think he's, he's great, but no, I don't, God, I don't no, right. like, he's, I defend the fact that he's not as awful as everyone says, but I, I defend a lot of versions. I've seen both of the 30, 1931 Draculas because they shot the Bela Lugosi one, I believe during the day, and they shot a Spanish language version of Dracula at night on the same sets. And so both of those films came out in two different versions of Dracula, and I've seen both of them. And now I've seen this Hammer one. I've seen the 70s one with Frank Langella playing Dracula. And I think Laurence Olivier was Van Helsing. Um, I even think one of the most underrated Mel Brooks movies is the Dracula. Dracula, so, Dracula one, which, <laughs> I think I put how up much, with How much can we throw? How much blood can we throw in there? Oh, right, yeah. No, I, I think my favorite line I go back to is that, that Renfield in that uh, 94 uh, Dracula dead and loving at Renfield when all the the Dracula's brides are coming in to seduce him and they're all rubbing up on the, the bedpost and he's like, my God, what are you doing to the furniture? I think one of the <laughs> nicest, one that Bella goes to his, his best Dracula ones is actually the one that everybody gets mad about. It's the Mark of the Vampire. Okay. Which he, he just revised. It's supposed to be a sequel to the Vampire as Dracula, but he can't really use his name in his whole investigation. But it has one of the, some of the great scenes of him being Dracula did a lot of creative work for it mark but people, of the, the vampire okay yeah it, the ending is what drove everybody mad because it's one of those like it's all just is that the same film as return of the vampire no mark okay because i've seen return of the vampire and lugosi also played a dracula-esque vampire in that film and return of the vampire is it's bad but Mark the Vampire has that great scene of them coming down. Um, I can't remember her name. And they come down the steps and it has spider webs and it's mm. all that, the tombs and the castles and everything. But it has those aesthetic looks that you really enjoy from vampire movies. And I think nobody really knows about the movie Mark of Vampire. That if you watch it for Halloween, you'd be like, oh, yeah. Hmm. For some reason. I'll have to check out Mark of the Vampire because I don't remember seeing it. I just I thought you were talking about Return. And Return of the oh. Vampire is one of the worst vampire movies I've ever seen. And that like had to go Va- see in the same place. <laughs> I like where it's going. And it's that there's, you know, it's, there's a, it's, the best thing about vampires is there's one person convinced you there's a vampire that really exists and everybody's like, get out of here. That's, yeah. that's the tough thing now about those movies is you don't, it's, it's almost a cliche beat, but you have to do it because we don't have proof that they exist. You have to be able to convince people. And it's one of the tougher things that you don't want to have to spend too much time on your film and doing because we know as the audience, we've seen it happen, but you have to convince the characters that a vampire exists. And that's really tough. <laughs> so throughout the whole movie of Mark of the Vampire, there's this audio of people moaning mm-hmm. and it sounds like dirty movies. Cause you watch it. Like, and you're like, what is, and it plays out through the whole movie, even mm-hmm. when there's dialogue. And it's like, it's some of the like, I know you try to emphasize the creepiness, but it, you're not giving the results. But oh yeah, aesthetically, I do like the Mark of Vampire. But it's almost like you talk about vampire movies. There was only one person that convinced you vampires exist. That's why I like the movie Wolf with oh, Jack yeah. Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer, because if you remember in the beginning of the movie, he gets bit by a wolf, but he he's aware of what's happening to him. Mm-hmm. There's no convincing like what what he had to go research what werewolves are or anything. But he, without really saying much, he knows what's happening to him. And he's trying to keep it with inside of a right here i think he even handcuffs himself to the heater okay yeah so he doesn't go out at night so yeah um i think mike nichols directed it i think so and uh we got we got i mean you always want to see nicholson as a werewolf that's that's like a a dream come true and 
Michelle Pfeiffer's guy already got that look that she that exotic look that she could that's true to transform into a werewolf. Oh yeah, yeah. Hmm. I just think the problem with it, they didn't know how to end it. It's almost like they got to page forty-five of the script and like, well, we need an ending. I don't have one. Well, just do this. Yeah, yeah it's one of those movies like you didn't have an ending. And it's, it's, could... The toughest thing is, I think one of the most underserviced uh, subgenres of horror films is the werewolf movie, because there's not a lot of really great ones. Like you could, no. you could name a lot of great vampire movies. No, you even know? like Wolfen. But yeah, Wolfen and a Bad Moon are both kind of considered like those ones we don't talk about, but they're they're both kind of on the level. But you know, in the same what was it the same year that The Howling and American Werewolf both came out? And the Wolfen came out. They almost came out the same. Yeah, uh, yeah. But then before that, you didn't really have anything before that until like uh, the Wolfman himself. No, we got it over the head with werewolf movies. Yeah, in the early 80s. And, and then after that, we didn't have it for a long time either. On a successful note, uh, God, I love the ending of the the Howling though. Oh yeah. How would you like your steak? How would you like your steak? Well, and uh, extra, extra, like going extra, going back to my my yeah. sequel problem. There's not a single good sequel to The Howling, <laughs> but I can't tell you how many times yeah. I've seen all of those. Um, no. There's not many good ones at all. There's that third Howling movie where they're it's set in Australia it's and they re- have oh. they have pouches because no. they're like kangaroo yes. werewolves. Don't, but I, yeah. That's... In fact, uh, the second Howling had Christopher Lee in it. Mm-hmm. And when he was cast in the second Gremlins movie, he had to apologize to Joe Dante, who had directed The Howling 1 in Gremlins. Yeah, and he, he had to apologize for, for being in The Howling 2. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, The Howling. Uh, and I think there hasn't been a lot of great werewolf movies recently Dog either. Dog Soldiers talked about. I actually really liked Wolf Cop. It's it's uh, kind of a satirical parody version of it where a police officer gets bit by a werewolf and becomes a wolf cop. Yeah. And they even made a sequel to it called Another Wolf Cop. Uh, and those are kind of like hilarious send-ups of those kinds of films. But I think they're both pretty funny. So, Dog Soldiers, I think, is accessible. But it takes a long time to get It's one of those that you don't get the werewolf until the very end. It's one of those you're building, building, building. And whatever yeah. Doing. And at a certain point, if you know that the film is about werewolves, you, you kind of want to see the carnage. You know, so we have a couple minutes. I'm going to bring it up. Have you seen Severance? God, I miss that movie. Severance. It's one of those where they go on a work retreat. In the early 2000s, we go on work retreats to I build up like teamwork skills. And it's yeah. from England, and all of a sudden they realize that somebody's somebody's actually killing each other off. Uh, Severance and yeah. Mm, okay. I feel like I have seen it. The name sounds so familiar. They go in the I, woods and try to play baseball, but somebody's got a real gun. It's a, <laughs> it's a comedy horror that we kind of be mixing genres again. Yeah, two thousands. It came from Britain. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to check on that. It's one of those I, we I have feel to. Like I think I we have to rediscover. Yeah, Severance. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of the weird thing is you know we talk about trying to find films that both of us haven't seen. So I'm yeah. looking forward to like we're we're gonna record later this week one that neither of us had seen before, nope. and that's kind of exciting. Um, and it, it's, it's that thing too, where it's also fun to go visit ones that we haven't seen in a while. Um, like I'll, I'll spoil one that we've recorded, uh, that hasn't dropped yet, which yeah, we'll is do a the, the untouchables, yeah. which is one that I've, I told you is like one of my favorite movies. I haven't watched it since high school. And so watching it again was really great to revisit a movie that I had loved so much. And then I hadn't heard the, the music for it in so long. And the moment that score kicked in again, I was like, oh. Back home <laughs> starts out with a bang, right? Mm-hmm. Starts out with a bang, and then we go from there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, that's it. Thanks 
for coming on, Kyle. Yeah, it was um, a pleasure. Now, once again, uh, if you want to know what we look like and what we talk more about movies, if you enjoy that, uh, you can find Kyle Nick on film yep. on YouTube. We'll put the link down below. If you want to be a part of the team, uh, join our Patreon. We have some good deals yeah. on there. If you don't like what we look like, too, you don't have to watch the video. You can just listen. Just press play and go. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, in the words of uh, Kevin Costner um, from The Untouchables, what, remember what his last line was, if you like the movie so much? Uh, I think I'll go get a drink. There we go. <laughs> That's it. Um, it's not over to say it's over. It's over. It's over.